and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Craig Moorhead. And I'm Sean Harwell, and this is a podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks. That's right, Sean. Uh, you can find us online. You can find us on the Twitters at Never Podcast. You can find us online at neverheardpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram, too. Mm-hmm. You can find us most places internets are sold. You can definitely find us on AOL. You can find us on uh, Prodigy. Earthlink. We're all up in Earthlink. Friendster. <laughs> If you're just tuning in for the first time, maybe you're new to this show. In this episode, we're going to talk about one movie, Through and Through. And if you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, that's okay. Because you'll feel like you've seen it when we're done. And that's right. come back next week, we're not going to talk about one movie. We're going to talk about a bunch of different movies. We're going to talk about news and some stuff that uh, popped up on the current radar that you probably missed. So those are short, and come check out some of those as well. That's right. That's right. If you don't have time for a long podcast, you get a little mini cut podcast. Hmm. Who could ask for more? <laughs> Lots of people, probably. Probably. Probably a few people. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to talk about a movie from 1951. The Robert Wise directed The House on Telegraph Hill. This is a movie that was adapted from a book. The Frightened Child by Dana <laughs> Lyon. Yep. The Frightened Child. That's an interesting title for what the movie is. Uh, it is. Because there's it, not it much really about is. a frightened child in the movie. Yeah. Again, this is 1951. Screenplay by Alec Mole and Frank Pardos. Starring Richard Basehart, Valentina Cortez, William Lundigan, and Faye Baker. And Gordon Gebert. And Gordon Gebert. As the beef. As the yes. beef, yeah. As the child that's really not that frightened. Yeah. Uh, it also, Sean, you'll be interested to know this, uh, they also received an Academy Award nomination for art direction, which I think is is pretty right on. I think so. I thought, I thought it was a very good-looking movie, and the set certainly looked nice. So what is your overall impression before we really jump into synopses and uh, really going through the movie? Sure. Well, I think it is... A very serviceable thriller. It mm-hmm. felt a little bit like Hitchcock light to me. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the San Francisco setting plays into that a little bit. Some of the shot selection by Robert Wise, some of the acting. I think if I were to tell the big plot points and twist back to anyone who has not seen this movie, it would probably sound awesome. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think those are really good plot points. There's some stuff in between that felt a little slow to me and kind of lost my attention a little bit. But on the whole, yeah, I think it's a solid thriller. And it's always interesting, I think, to see a thriller from this era, you know, because they do sort of, I don't know, they they just tow a different line than they do today. And I should say that I like to think I had heard of this movie at some point. It did not ring a bell when you brought it up. And I totally thought it was a horror movie when I first heard that title. Yeah. You know? And certainly if you looked at any of the posters, you'd probably feel the same way too, generally. Like they look, there's a lot of lightning and there's mm-hmm. imposing scary houses. Yeah, yeah, the house, even in that first couple of shots, it was like that psycho mansion, you know? Oh, yeah. I did see kind of early on, I think even before I, I clicked on play on Netflix, that this was directed by Robert Wise. So I was like, okay, probably not a horror movie. Robert Wise, who, if you don't know, an insanely storied career as a director... Everything from working on the Magnificent Ambersons to directing the first Star Trek motion picture, but also directed one of my favorite movies of all time, 
which is uh uh boat trip <laughs> not boat trip oh that'd be the sound of music so uh oh. yeah imagining the director of sound of music making a horror movie i i, well, didn't, I didn't make the connection although maybe he has Oh, he, we, he certainly has, and he's made one of my favorite horror movies, which is The Haunting. Oh, The Haunting, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking the same thing, that he was more sort of the lighter, fair type guy, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, The Haunting. Well, and uh, I mean, Day the Earth Stood Still is, is certainly more of a sci-fi-ish uh, story. Right. But interesting to note, he that movie came out the same year as House on Telegraph Hill. How insane is so, that, right? Pretty, yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty insane year and I, and I feel very much the same way you do there's no reason to kind of go into the specifics because i i very much feel the same way you do about it it's it's like yeah it's a solid thriller like it, that's just solid directing there's pretty good tension uh there's some bits that are a little soft but overall i really can't complain what was your knowledge of it going into it or or why did it pop back up on your radar we should say it is on netflix is that kind of yeah. did you notice that it was on there it's like oh i need to see this Kind of, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was specifically looking for older movies. Yeah. And then just really just looking for a poster that looked interesting. And the poster looked interesting. And then when I saw it with Robert Wise, I was like, I got to see that. That'll have something to it. Yeah. I, I just want to say thanks and congratulations because it's not easy to do on Netflix. <laughs> it yeah. It's like every movie from, I, you know, previous to 1970 is probably one that like everybody has heard of or seen at this point. And there's a yeah. shrinking, shrinking catalog in that department on Netflix. So shame on Netflix. But that's going to be serviced somewhere else. Uh, would now be a good mm-hmm. time to do a plot synopsis. Let's do a plot synopsis. concentration camp survivor Victoria Kowalska finds herself involved in mystery, greed, and murder when she assumes the identity of a dead friend in order to gain passage to America. And, uh, boy, that's a pretty heavy (laughs) place to start out from, isn't it? Sure it is, yeah. Let's talk about the opening then a little bit because you get a bit of narration from the Victoria... Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. Well, her, her real name is Victoria. (laughs) <laughs> yes and the actress's name is valentina yes but she assumes the identity of a woman named karen yes hence the confusion mm. victoria is narrating uh at the very beginning you get a couple shots of san francisco you see the very house on telegraph hill and you know you're going to end up there but before you get there she takes you back to poland where she is in a concentration camp I think between us, we've seen no, no, no shortage of movies that have scenes of concentration camps. We've talked about a movie with a somewhat similar plot, or at least setup uh, on this podcast before in Phoenix, which is a great movie from mm-hmm. a couple years ago. How did you feel about that, that chunk that we spent in, those, in that camp? What's the narrative it's painting about this woman, I guess, is the most important thing, like her character and how we're supposed to feel about her right. when she gets out, you know? Well, it's really interesting because this is kind of actually this is kind of the moment where I felt like that that there might be something really interesting to this story, honestly, because we uh, end up in Poland there and we have Victoria with this woman, Karen, and Victoria seems to be really taking care of Karen. And so your first thought is Victoria's what what a good person Victoria's. Now, mm-hmm. by this time, you also know that Victoria's whole family has been killed. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, they, they had this wonderful place where they were living and it was blown to smithereens and everyone was killed. And so she was, she was pretty bitter about that. But then inside this concentration camp, she seems to be taking care of, of Karen. And Karen has this little boy who 
lives in who she sent to to live with relatives in San Francisco before things got real bad in Poland. So the boy doesn't even know her face. Yeah. And she's so she's all broken up over it, which she should be, and Victoria is just trying to help her out. But then someone someone tries to steal Karen's food mm-hmm. and Victoria fights for it and gets it back. And the person who stole it points out that Victoria is being a hypocrite because the only reason she's trying to help Karen is to get help after the war because Karen has these wealthy uh, relatives. So then, yeah, you kind of have this weird seed of doubt where it's like, well, you know, I would probably be feeling very desperate too. I might have a lot of motives for helping someone who could help me out after the war. I didn't read too much into it either because I thought it was really nice, A, that they transitioned from that moment to sort of asking the question, if we get out of this camp. And then the the woman that was pointing the finger right. in the first place is like, nobody's getting out of here. We're all going to die kind of thing. And you see that, I mean, right. that dread, I think, registers on Victoria's face. So again, like it mm-hmm. felt like, how do you have like a really like a drawn out motive in that moment where survive? Yeah, like sure. survival is the very like, that's the thing. Like forget making money off of a friend who's got a relative in San Francisco, like you might not have a meal tomorrow, you know, um, or who knows Fair what enough. else will come. So I thought all that stuff was, it was really important and really kind of interesting. And beyond that, boy, how do you sort of root against that person who makes it out of there? And this movie oh, yeah. kind of ask you to sort of question the moral decisions that this woman has made and whether she is sort of mm-hmm. pure of heart or good intentioned or deserves the position that she achieves in life. And I think it also helps as the movie goes on where, you know, she really starts to question herself. Very true. You know, about how, how, you know, yeah, morally correct was it that, that she ends up doing what she does and what does she end up doing? Sean? She unfortunately loses her friend. Karen dies by the way, I, I read an interesting tidbit. I think the actress that plays Karen in that camp is Natasha Lytus, who I think was Marilyn Monroe's acting coach for like a long time, and she would bring her to set. Yeah. Oh, anyway, wow. The weird tidbits that you can go down when you look at TCM.com. But um, yeah, Karen <laughs> dies. Poland is liberated. The Americans are there. They're checking identity. She tells the, um, I believe he was a major in the army, Major mm-hmm. Mark Bennett. Bennett, sorry. Yes. Yeah, played by William Lundigan, who will rear his head again, Mm -hmm. that her name is Karen. She's not Victoria. There is a identity paper that falls out of her belongings that says Victoria, and Major Mark Bennett asks her about it, and she says that was her friend who died, and she tears up that identity paper. And then receives a cable, I think a few days later, that her Aunt Sophie, which, again is actually Karen's Aunt Sophie has died and there is an estate being handled by a group of lawyers and a guardian of Chris, this young son of Karen, who Victoria is now pretending to be. So it's kind of a lot to process up front, I think, you know, and I think uh, they did a good job of pacing that out, I thought. And, you know, there's, there's some interesting transition then from refugee camp to America I read that they actually used some some stock footage provided by the United Nations to show the that the United Nations were were doing good in the world. I mean, I, honestly, I felt like you could you could have an entire movie of just 
people transitioning. Yeah, but once she's back, you know, she meets the lawyers and that's when this character, Alan Spender, played by Richard Basehart, enters the scene. Mm -hmm. And he's been established as the guardian of Christopher, her son. There's a bit of suspicion by one of the lawyers that Karen is who she's claiming to be and is in fact the mother of this son. But that's explained as, well, this is only a precaution because we're talking about a large amount of money. You can imagine someone might want to take advantage of that. I think Richard then explains that he also is related to Sophie. Uh, I think that's his mm-hmm. aunt, and I think that's why she's called Aunt Sophie. I don't know. I can't remember the freaking family history. It was a bit unimportant in some ways, right? Yeah. They're in New York. Christopher's in San Francisco. So Alan Spender and Karen kind of have a night out on the town. <laughs> and he's very, very friendly yeah. to her up front. And it's handled quickly. This next little bit, we get some narration, and the next thing you know, Karen is telling us three days later we were married. So, mm-hmm. very different it's time. a very different time. I mean, I, I have to sort of like press pause on my brain going, okay, wait a second. Did she just marry the guardian of her son? That's a little weird. And wait a second, is that guardian mm-hmm. also related to her? I know he said it's not by blood, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, and so that was the thing, right? Because... She wanted to get married because that meant she would for sure be yes. able to stay in the country. And obviously he wanted to get married. Well, and, and maybe we don't really know why exactly at right. first. But he has his own motivations for definitely wanting to marry her. And it obviously has to do with the fact that she's the mother of Chris. The inheritor. Yeah. So there's even a line that she says, I think, in the narration, I felt Alan was attractive to me and I was prepared to take advantage of it. And I, I like all that stuff. I mean, that, I think, to me, gives it sort of the noir edge. Because, again, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you're putting a woman in power. We're aware now that she's she's doing something extremely questionable, but she's owning it. Yeah. That also, to me, I thought, well, that's, that's yeah, again, this is weird to have this sort of, like, unscrupulous character that just walked out of a concentration camp. <laughs> you don't yeah. see that every day. No. Usually played for sympathy. One other thing that I loved about this whole sequence was, I, I, you know, and maybe we should have known better after watching Nothing But the Night where you had this whole damn plot around a trust <laughs> and these older yeah. people and these kids. But like, you know, Chris, or I'm sorry, Alan is taking Karen out and she's trying on this like insanely expensive dress. And she's like, oh, it's beautiful, but I don't know. You know, it's so expensive. And he's like, well, as the guardian, I can think that I can say that Chris would want his mother to look beautiful. So you go ahead and I'm just like, can you like legally do that? You can just use this kid's money to buy a dress. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. This is weird. Well, again, probably at the time. Yeah. Of course, this is all going to be relative or relevant later on because, you know, you, you mm-hmm. learn a lot more about Alan and where he stands. But they they travel to San Francisco and... I think my favorite line in the movie was in the same, which I don't even know if you picked up on this or not, Craig. It's, it didn't really stand out mm-hmm. as much, but they get off the train. They meet Chris. You know, it's not this sort of Karen is not putting on airs to look as if she's extremely overwhelmed with emotion, seeing her kid again for the first mm-hmm. time. And <laughs> however many years, yeah. it's, it's sort of like a really kind of formal, polite, gentle handshake with this young boy. But then uh, <laughs> Alan says, uh, let's go get the taste of the train out of our mouths.
we're back in San Francisco pretty quickly in this movie, right? And for all mm -hmm. intents and purposes, they've established everything that we kind of need to know. Like all the all the pieces yes. are in place now. Where were where were you with this movie by then? Are you still sort of like did it have you hanging on, or did you figure out kind of what the actual mystery or or crime element was going to be? No, and that's the thing, right? Now we she hasn't found the playhouse nope. yet. Between the time that that she rips up that card mm -hmm. and then finds that burnt out playhouse, I started thinking, oh no, Sean. I've just, <laughs> I sat us down for just a straight drama of a woman like meeting the, some other woman's kid and trying to pretend like, she, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not up for that right now. Gotcha. So I was very relieved when yeah. she finds the playhouse in a little while. Yeah, because that, that stuff, I, I mean, I feel like that stuff had to happen. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was an important part of the story, but it was, it felt kind of slow going through there. What was your feeling? kind of the same way I, I did wonder okay if this woman is just gonna be the story of the mistaken identity and whether or not that gets to her or she just gets busted yeah i don't i'm not like yeah. I, it's, this is hard to sustain right oh absolutely so yeah I, I think i was relieved similarly when she's out playing catch with her son pretty much the day after they get there and i think you know you've you've seen the house you've done the tour You've met Margaret, I believe, who was the governess, who was mm -hmm. very somewhat stoically played by Faye Baker. And there's really nothing in those moments to tip your hat in any one direction that something's nefarious going on with any of these people. Mm -hmm. So she's playing catch with her son innocently in the yard, and the wall goes through the bushes, and she's in a playhouse. And she's like, what is this? Like, how come you don't come out here? Like, this is beautiful. And he's like, yeah, it's just dangerous in there. It's, you know, it's messy. And uh, that kid's <laughs> voice loved it. Um, oh, yeah. She goes in, there's like a giant hole in this, a burnt-out hole in this playhouse, which is, again, at the top and of a hill. See, like, like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like you can see, I think, the, the, the port of San Francisco. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. You can probably see Alcatraz. No. Uh, it's the best mm. view on the property. It's in the blown-out hole of her. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'd spend hours in there. Yeah, which he says just happened because of a, a an explosion from a chemistry set. Yeah. Which I'm still a little confused about, Craig. I am too. Because, A, the timeline of it was a little weird to me because... Later on, there's a conversation, I think, with Margaret, where she talks about the Playhouse explosion as something that happened four years ago. Yeah. And I was like, well, Jesus, how old is Chris? Because he looks like he's like... Yeah, he doesn't seem very old at all. Yeah, like 10 yeah. tops or something. I don't know. Do you give a like a six-year-old a chemistry set that they... An can... exploding chemistry set. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, I still don't know if I know exactly what happened in that damn Playhouse. Do you... No, and I was hoping that was going to come out as we were talking, because yeah, as I was thinking about, it, I was like, we never really kind of got closure on that, mm -hmm. unless it was just another like blown attempt at trying to kill someone. Oh, it was because clearly think, yes. whoever is trying to kill people in this movie, yes, isn't the best. That's very very true. They kind of tend to screw up. <laughs> It's not long after this, Karen is shopping, or I don't know, what the hell. She runs into Major Mark Bennett. Or no, he comes oh, over, yeah. right, they have the ball, right, and they invite all these people, 
And then walks this dude, who she knows. I mean, it's the exact same person from the concentration camp, the liberator, right. that she told she was not Victoria. Right. That's a that's kind of a leap for me to take. Well, I mean, that's that's tough. But I mean, I don't know. It kind of had to happen. It had to. You had. There was no other way around that. If he was a like, what is he in this besides being in the army? He works for a law firm. He works for a law firm. Yeah. And but but Alan Spender doesn't work for a law firm. No. Right. So. It's it's, yeah. it's kind of thing like if it would, it would could have made more sense that they would be traveling in the same circles. Sure. But then you know what, Sean? I don't have a lot of balls. I don't have a lot of balls. So <laughs> I don't know who shows up to those. I hope no one takes what I just said wrong. There's probably a right. very limited set of people that you can actually invite to these things that have tuxedos and uh I will say, yeah. I, I really liked William Lundigan's portrayal of that character. I mean, he's sort of like the classic, over-friendly, handsome, slick-haired guy who yeah. has his eyes on uh, the guy's wife. Right. But he, when he shows up to that party, it's pretty clear that he drinks too much. Yes. And even like from then on, like I don't think you ever see him with a drink, but it still felt to me like he was probably a little drunk, <laughs> like in every scene. Like there's just something about that guy's like his look about him, like the way he hugs. He's just like always <laughs> like he was slightly too happy for the moment, right. you know? He was like one of those too happy and relaxed. <laughs> yeah. But I liked it. Um and you know, you get another nice scene where they're out at a market and that's shot on location and you can see San Francisco in the background, it's great. And yeah. then, you know, the next thing you know, um, Vic, Karen is going to run out to the market again. She's going to take Chris, but he ends up not going with her. And then the brakes, the brakes go out. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to back up for a second. I don't know. Why didn't he go with her? Well, just as they're leaving, <laughs> yeah. Margaret calls out the window right, and says, Chris, you promised to clean up your room. And he said, Oh, I just want to go with Ma. Can I go? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then, <laughs> and then his fake mom is like, no, 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 you should clean it up. We'll go another day. Yeah. So, yeah. So Margaret has pulled Chris out of the car that now has the brakes cut. So yeah. Victoria Karen goes on a, I think, a fairly legitimately uh, tense ride with only a few shots that were clearly sped up. I was going to say totally tense until the very last moment. <laughs> The very last was a little <laughs> hilarious. Uh, the only thing that could have been better if it was like a she landed in a pile of balloons. Yeah, that car. Um, I mean, it looks like it's headed for instant death. Like, I, the way yeah. they shot it's great. Like uh, everything up to that moment, like it's you're on those hills, you're feeling yeah. it. She's making some really tight turns because that's the only way she's going to slow down. But then she makes one super tight turn. And it's an open top car and gets dumped out the top into like a pile of mulch or dirt. Right. <laughs> face like down. the car just kind of tips over just so and she just lands perfectly in this dirt. Right. I mean, yeah, if, if it was a if it was a contemporary movie, you would have had a nice slide into the dirt or something. Yeah. Or know? I think of like the game where the car ends up in the in the lake, you know, in the water. In oh, the yeah. Bay, and then you got to get out. But you get out. You do. This is sort of the 1951 version of that where the right. the, the girl right. just ends up face down in a pile of dirt. And it's kind of funny. It is. She's not hurt at all. Now we know somebody's out to get her. Yeah. And it doesn't take her long to think that it's Alan. Right. Right. And she thinks this well, because no, but wait a second. Why? Well, let's back up one second. Okay, but there's no... Who's the other suspect? Nobody. Well, right? my feeling was that Margaret was the other suspect. Oh, okay. And, like, that's the reason she called Chris in. I never, I never got that vibe from her for some reason. 
See, I always, I, I always figured there's at least a chance that Margaret just wants her out of the way. I knew there was something. I knew there was something to Margaret, but I think that felt a little obvious to me, perhaps, because they are at sure. odds at least over. It's clear, you know, Margaret has been the parent. Now here comes this woman in who's legitimately, well, illegitimately his mother and um, <laughs> pretending to be yeah. the parent. And yeah, right. she's she's giving Chris ice cream after bed and, and all this stuff. So yeah, oh, there's yeah, the tension yeah, yeah. there. But uh, I don't know. That felt a little obvious to me, I guess. So I didn't, I didn't, ever, I didn't ever think it was well, Miss Margaret. And, and I, I don't know if I'm just good at rationalizing myself into believing. You are. Red herrings. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I am. You're it's good. just like I, I can't help but look at something like that and say, that's so obvious that they might just be trying to rub my face in the fact <laughs> that it is her so that yeah. I won't think it's her. Which would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, because it could have been. Like, yeah. You, you could see an ending where it would make sense that she was the one. Well, and she is a I little complicit. So. Right? Uh, Even by the end uh, of it. A little bit. But I don't I don't think... Let's get to that. I want to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're we're gonna fast forward some. Karen Victoria comes to believe that Alan is trying to kill her mm-hmm. because money. Right. Right. Yes. Mark's like, I don't think so. I mean, like, why would he marry you if that's the case? You know. Right. He's like, well, he married me, so it'd be easier. But then, blah blah blah. He wants his old life back, and he wants me out of the picture. This, this, and that. Right. There's some interesting stuff with her thinking that she's found a puddle of the brake fluid mm-hmm. in the garage. Great shot there where she's mm-hmm. looking at that at night. You see somebody's shadow move on the back of her, so you know that she's being watched. Uh, she finds a glove that has this fluid on it. She has that tested by Mark and his trusty friends at the lab. Is uh, that the moment when it cuts to that shot of the door? And the door's just kind of open. You kind of see the night sky with like clouds outside. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Ah, oh, God, that's a beautiful shot. Yeah, that, that, that whole sequence there is some really nice looking stuff. What else does she suspect from him? Was there something else? Well, the other thing that she does is... Oh, that, uh, the playhouse? Well, she suspects the playhouse, but they still don't figure anything out with the playhouse. I well, think. but remember like, when I he... feel the next thing that happens is, is the cable. Right. Well, remember when he creeps up on her in the playhouse, sort of, and he's just like walking oh, straight. Oh yeah, 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 That yeah. that was pretty awesome too. I like that scene. Like she steps yeah. down, and almost falls through it. He's he's coming at her, and it really looks like he's got menace on his face. Yeah. But they play it just enough mm-hmm. that it's not like he's not tipping his hand. He's not saying like I'm going to kill you. He's just walking yeah. toward her, and she's clearly already freaked out. And, uh, and yeah, she almost plummets out of the thing down the side. Now, here's what, just side note, Sean. <laughs> yeah. As a parent, how many playhouses do you expect to ever build on the side of a cliff? I'm going to go ahead and say none. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say I probably would not, I will, will not give my daughter a chemistry set at mm. age five. Mm-hmm. Good parenting. Well, it would be a very limited one. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yes. And then, let's say there is an explosion in that playhouse. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna yes. get that hole fixed. It's not gonna take. Yeah. It's not gonna take five years for me to get that hole. I'm not no. gonna say. You know what? Just don't go in the playhouse for five years. I'm gonna get yeah. the hole fixed. But I'm, I'm gonna be straight with you, uh, Sean. I'm gonna put that playhouse right in the middle of the yard. Because I don't want like half of the playhouse just <laughs> hanging over a cliff. It just seems like that's a bad idea. Yeah. 
I mean, it's kind of hidden so, back there. It's not, you know, it doesn't yeah. really look inviting to want to go play in anyway. But maybe that's unless that was her thought. Well, in the movie's defense, it very well could be that Alan's the one who built the playhouse there. Could be in order to kill Chris, which is starting to become more. That's and pretty more, elaborate. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Again, he's not a mastermind. He's not. He's, he's making not. this stuff up as he goes. He's conflicted. You can see where this is headed. Um, yeah. Victoria Karen confesses to Mark, confides in him that she lied about who she was when they saw each other at the Belson concentration camp. Right. And I liked that he did not blame her for what she did. Oh, yeah. Didn't, didn't think too much about it, in fact. <laughs> I, and I'm glad just as a viewer, because I was like, man, I don't want to go through like the three scenes it takes for him to be mad at her. To come back around. Team. Yeah. And then, her, like, I just, please, let's not do it. Yeah. And God only knows, I mean, no one knows what he did while he was over there, too, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a little presumptuous. Um, and so, but it is after that when, yes, she goes through that photo album that Margaret desperately did not want her to go through earlier in the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. sees the obituary of Aunt Sophie in the newspaper was yeah. dated, what was it, three, four days after she received yes. a cable about Sophie's yes. death in Poland. Right. Bum, bum, bum. So now, yeah, now she has all the evidence she basically needs yep. to believe that Alan's definitely not on the up and up. Mm-hmm. So now, Sean, all she has to do is call, I'm assuming, either Mark or the police, right? Like at this point in the movie, only thing she needs to do is get this information to the right person. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Although, oh. again, she has been living under a false identification, pretending to be someone's mother. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that might make her hesitant to do something like go to the cops, per se. Right. Well, she's but she's definitely trying to call Mark. She's, she's in the trying house. to call Mark. She's and with to me, Alan. Yeah, there's stuff in this last act that I simultaneously liked, and also felt dragged the entire movie up. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Sure. Because because of those hurdles that they keep, like she goes, you know, there even I think before this, there's a day where she goes to see Mark. And there's Alan in the same building and like she lies about yeah. going to the dentist and then like it's you know that he knows what's going on. Right. Like Alan knows there's some going on between her and Mark at the very least. Yeah. If not the whole thing that she is not who she's saying she is. Yes. I will say though that I uh again, someone who can easily talk himself into believing things in a movie <laughs> if he wants to. Yeah. Was was fairly swayed by the scene where, for some reason, Alan and Mark take her dancing? I like that scene, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I liked it very much. Alan has that conversation with him, where, and it feels like just enough sincerity for me to believe gotcha. that Alan is just a heartbroken guy who feels like he's losing his wife. And like that's why he's following her around. That's why he's being kind of weird. See, I, I don't know. I, I believed his performance to Mark, but when he was mm-hmm. with her, like, no. Like, I just always felt like he's, there's something else going on with this dude. Like, even, uh, 
Well, yeah. I mean, when, it, when it gets to that point, you know, and it's a little bit later, but like, there's like, they're reading, you know, they're like, he's basically like, why don't you come into the room? And she's like, no, I just want to go lay down. He's like, no, come on in. Like, you know, it's like he kept just, he's sort of like micromanaging where he's she very, goes. Yeah, smothering. And like, yeah, when she goes to bed. But it all, to me, it all just felt like, okay, like he knows, like if she's going to, you know, it's like, who are you calling? It's like, oh, nobody. Like that kind of, those kind of questions, right? And so you get like this scene. There was a scene where they're just like sitting there reading (laughs) and like looking like she's like glancing at the corner at him. And then the phone rings and it's like she gets shot, you know. Um, She's like literally like jumps up and drops her book. Um, And some of those I was like, it does kind of work. Like the tension is there. Right. And yet it also feels like I could see like the like the SNL version of that same scene. You know what I'm saying? Like um, just based on those big reactions and that heavy kind of music. Right. And forgive me if you if you said this and I and I and I missed it. I doubt but, I did. Uh but but this is this is all at a point where yeah, she has desperately been trying to make a phone call. Mm-hmm. Clearly. She's just trying to get in a room by herself so she can call Mark most likely. Yeah. Right? She needs yes. somebody to come to this house because she realizes she's she's probably in danger. Yeah. I mean this is like the like the last like ten, fifteen minutes of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's it's this nice little sort of quiet cat and mouse thing. Mm-hmm. Again, a, a good amount of tension. I feel like it's being played pretty well. Yeah, she jumps. There's one really interesting cut to me. I can't remember what line the cut came on, but they're they're both sitting at the table, like he and he couldn't be being more ridiculous about this because mm-hmm. at first he's sitting in a in a you know uh, sort of an easy chair, and she's in a chair, and they're both reading kind of across the room and then yeah. she moves closer to the phone so he goes and sits at the same desk with her yeah just like what's going on and the phone rings and she's scared and whatever and he answers and no one talks to him so he knows it's probably mark and he hangs up and this whole time it was kind of played over his shoulder across his profile looking at her sitting on the other side of the desk and then when it cuts over to her she looks like she's like 10 feet away from the desk. Yeah. It was very, it was kind of a really strange thing. And I'm not entirely sure. Like she really looked displaced from the other shot. The other shot looks like she's right next to the desk. Um, Do you think that was intentional to kind of make you feel like she's. I mean, yeah, maybe it was supposed to be, you know, something that you might, you might not exactly know why it's sort of upsetting you. I don't know. I was, I was going to go back and watch that scene again. I just thought that was interesting, but yeah, so that's where we are. Now it's it seems clear that Mark just called and didn't say anything, yeah. and so the, the the noose is kind of tightening. I mean, he could have just said, "Hey, it's Mark." Like, is it tightening? Is it tightening too slow, Sean? Is it tightening too I, slow I, at this point? I think it was. How do yeah, you feel? I think it it was in some ways. For my, or okay. I should say, the tension is large. The moments are small, and mm-hmm. like maybe that's the disconnect for me mm-hmm. and like my sort of modern mind and like you know thinking of movies in the third act had to go big because of you know like we're talking about the reading and then later on with all the orange juice stuff you know at first i was like jesus christ the tension of drinking orange juice you know and then obviously it goes to the point where he gets poisoned but i also felt that this was going slowly at this point a part of me was wondering why alan is drawing this out so far Mm -hmm. i understand he doesn't want her to make the call but so much of it seems like it almost seems like he's trying to get her to admit something or 
or something. Yeah. It seems like he he's trying to get something from her, but that's not true at all. Which I think like, brings us to the ultimate question of if, in fact, he was trying to kill her, which we know by the end of this movie that he was. Yeah. Why why was he so unsuccess, unsuccessful? Yeah. And, yeah, like even in that moment, if it's just the two of them in the room, kill her, get rid of the body. Right. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. the wiser. I mean, you're poisoning someone. You're cutting brake lines, which is always super iffy because what if margaret takes the car yeah are you fine with that what if chris is in the car you fine i guess you are fine with it i guess that's the thing he is fine with it he doesn't really care about anybody who dies i will say this though how it ultimately boiled down i liked i liked when yes. alan realizes because she tells him that this guy who made a point in the very beginning of the movie to say i always drink a glass of orange juice at night <laughs> helps me sleep you know, yeah, she was able to swap out her gla- the glass that he poured for her with his, and he tells her that he you know crushed up an entire prescription worth of sleeping pills into her drink, and she's like, "No, you idiot! You just drank this. You know, call a doctor." A, I liked that she genuinely was trying to save him, yes. and not just watch him die. But B, I loved that. Okay, like he quickly realizes that she's telling the truth and that he is going to die and it's yeah. drawn out and like he's walking around and like wiping his neck and it's just like that performance that was really good and creepy from yes. uh, Mr. Uh, Basehart there. Mm-hmm. And I liked all that stuff and then I, it leads to Margaret's character and I liked everything that she had to kind of say in that moment. I think ultimately she's she's the one given the option to go get help, go make that phone call. And she chooses not to. Yes. I like all that. It still leaves me with questions <laughs> about how yeah. that whole plot works on its own. Right. It seemed as if Alan and Margaret were in love Yes. by what he's saying. And yet, she's very clear that her concern is more for the child, Chris, than Mm -hmm. their relationship. Yes. And so, if indeed, idiot head here, tried to kill his son with a chemistry set five years ago, I'm a bit torn as to who she's truly, like, who does she love more, I guess. Because how do you keep Chris in that environment if in fact you know that okay this guy that I'm kind of in love with maybe tried to kill this kid you know did she grow to love Chris more than she loved Alan or to just realize that that was a problem I don't know like to me it it did sort of raise some questions and then um sure I think you 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 still kind of walk away with a cool noir but weird ending that uh, Victoria, who can live as Victoria and not care now, I guess. And Mark yeah. sort of get the happy ending and, and leave with Chris, this child who is not their child whatsoever. And <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, guys, what's going on in my life? Yeah, he's asleep through the whole damn thing. <laughs> well, let me let me ask this about the Margaret thing. Yeah. Please do. About the Margaret thing, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, uh, again, I don't remember things, and I'm not smart. But I, I guess my thing is I kind of didn't feel like she really knew what Alan was doing until 
he comes in poisoned and Victoria's like, he tried to poison me. I don't know. My memory was that he was sort of like, he for sure was in love with Margaret, right? Yeah. Okay. And, but I, and it felt like they had a plan, like that somehow, like now this plan is ruined, like go get, me, go get help, like, you know, you have to call a doctor kind of thing. But I yeah, see. I don't know. I might be misremembering that. Well, no, I, I feel like you're right. And again, and I may be, again, talking myself into things, but I guess my thing is, I guess I, I, I felt like the idea was that Margaret didn't understand that when Alan was talking about how he's going to, you know, quote unquote, take care of, you know, Karen or Victoria. He may uh, kill. What he means is he's going to kill her. Like, he, you know, maybe he's well, saying, but don't worry, I'm, I'm going to she... get her away. We're going to have the life we have. But like, she doesn't know that Chris is in danger from Alan. Okay. Like, she doesn't know that until this happens. She's like, you cut those brake lines. You could have killed Chris. Yeah. I'm going to watch you die. Okay. That would make sense. But I, I do think. The playhouse explosion then still remains a question. Well, well, but it's the chemistry set. Okay, so it was just a, right. an innocent thing. Like she bought thing. it. Okay. Yeah, she just didn't think Alan was trying to kill. Why, why would Alan try to kill Chris? We're a happy threesome. We're having a great time. Why would he try to do that? Yeah, I don't he know. Was. I'll have to go back and look at that. There was something yeah, about that me to too. me that even when they're talking about the, the explosion, when Margaret and Kieran are talking about it, the way that Margaret talked about it felt as if she were also trying to drop the subject. Hmm. You know? Yeah, maybe. But it's all, yeah, it's, it's very complicated. It's very, uh, it's melodramatic in a lot of ways there, which I think is par for the course of the era. I do, I mean, there's a lot of strings being tied together and, and untied and, and rolled into a ball yeah. and, and all kinds of stuff there at the end. That oh, there's, yeah. There's a lot to deal with. And I do wonder if, like, I don't know, if some of the execution of it a little bit would have made it a little clearer in our heads. I'm not, yeah. sa- I'm not saying <laughs> we're not lazy viewers in some ways. That maybe we just <laughs> screwed up and missed some things here and there. But I do wonder if, like, yeah, like if it, if it really grabbed a hold of us at the end there and, and would have kind of ended things in a cool way that's completely clear. I don't know. Right. Well, I, I think that's always the aim of a movie like this. It has to be, yeah. Where, where like, the ending is so clear, you don't need someone to explain. Mm-hmm. Like, you just need that one little bit of evidence, and then everything sort of makes sense. And I think very few movies actually really ever do that. Yeah. I think a lot of movies do need the explanation, and that's fine. Like, it, it can still work really well. But, mm-hmm. but, man, the ones where you don't need that explanation... Like, something like The Usual Suspects is kind of like that for me. Yeah. In a way. And maybe Sixth Sense. Well, I'd say like that for me. Phoenix had a pretty great ending. I mean, Phoenix was, yeah. Yeah, it's just a shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, and and because it, it didn't, and it didn't need more than that. It didn't need the witch. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. But I'd say there's fewer of those movies than there are of the ones that don't have great endings because they're hard. <laughs> they are. Yeah. There's there's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. This movie has lots of of good moments, and again, it's it's a generally entertaining little thriller. So yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, totally grounds for a remake. I, I think it, I can oh, see yeah. something within that world working so well. I also wrote down early on when I was making notes that I, I feel like Kate Blanchett would, would <laughs> she would be cast in like a heartbeat and something like this. Maybe you do Tilda yeah. Swinton or somebody. I don't know, but um, I feel like she would be playing that Karen Victoria character in a lot of ways because she can do this sort of unsympathetic, sympathetic thing um, yeah. quite well. Here's another little interesting thing that I learned about this movie. Mm-hmm. The music was done by Alfred Newman, which I always perk up just because of Mad Magazine, of course. 
Check this out. Uh huh. From 1938 until 1957, which would have covered the year that this movie was made, Mr. Newman worked on over 250 films and was nominated every year for at least one Oscar. Wow. 20 years of unbroken nominations. He won six times. Had 29 nominations in that span. Well, I think that should be the very least that you should be nominated for. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a hardliner on that. I just feel like, yeah. you know, 29 guys. What's a starting point yeah. for you? Not that hard. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> One other little piece of trivia for you. Nancy Reagan, who I think was Nancy Davis at the time, was also mm-hmm. uh, in the running for the Margaret role. They went to Faye Baker. Ooh. How about that? Cat fight. So you said The Haunting is your favorite Robert Wise movie? Definitely one of my favorites. It is a very creepy movie. It's based on one of the few books I've ever read that actually made me feel scared while I was reading it. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I think he did a really good job with that. I wanted to say, if you haven't seen Run Silent, Run Deep, that's another pretty yeah. awesome Robert Wise movie. Uh, Submarine, Clark Gable, Burt Lancaster. I mean, what else do you want? I, I don't want anything else. Okay. I mean, really, he's got so many good movies it's nuts you could just throw a dart at his filmography and and walk away happy well what's our takeaway on on the house on telegraph hill i definitely think i mean anybody who who uh, likes to watch a nice black and white movie and they Mm -hmm. feel like they've seen it all um i think telegraph hill is a good recommend yeah i would agree i think i think the setup works really well i think those plot points are strong yeah, I like the lead actress quite a bit. Actually, I thought she was mm-hmm. really good. She's got a her accent felt real to me. I think she's from Italy, not Poland, but nonetheless. And also, I think it's it's cool to see stuff that's shot on location during this time period. You know? Yeah. Especially in a place oh, like yeah, San absolutely. Francisco is always kind of nice to see. It's just so filmic. Yeah. And it did. I mean, it did put me in the mind of of Hitchcock movies in general. Yeah. Which also just kind of helped. I mean, I knew I wasn't watching a Hitchcock movie, but. Mm-hmm. I do really like these kind of movies. Awesome. Well, thank you for suggesting yeah. it. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's always nice Absolutely. to see something like this. And it's on Netflix, so everybody else can watch it. I'm glad it worked out. So next time we'll talk about some other movie. That's right. <laughs> which we haven't decided on yet. No. But we will. Mm-hmm. Keep sending your suggestions. Maybe we'll do one of those. You don't know. Yeah, or not. We might ignore Maybe. you. Yeah. You know where to find us online. Come say hello. Come check out the uh, mini episode next week. And uh, look to see where we land on the box office. And uh, if we keep up our our extreme accuracy of getting no more than two right per week. See you next time. Bye.